Welcome in everyone and thank you for listening to the 279th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the MSP studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. Um, it's not exactly beautiful weather, um, unless you like Antar- I wasn't Antarctica. talking about the weather. I'm just talking about the, you know, the general vibes. Oh, the general <laughs> beautiful vibes of Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we. Uh, it's been very cold here. Just I've been dripping faucets oh, yeah. for like five days now. Yeah. I think we're almost out of it, maybe? You know, I thought when you joined the SEC, you don't have to deal with this anymore. You're, the I weather you're just changes. Officially in the South, and then apparently not. Well, if we, you know, just one week of it, maybe. Yeah, uh, I hope so. Missouri, I can't help but feel this is a little off topic, but like thinking about SEC and like weather and stuff, it immediately made me think of SEC fans, like student sections, and how they wear like khakis and polos khaki shorts and polos to every game yeah and like mizzou fans aren't really doing that as much you know right. sticking to the classic like jersey and hoodie combo just normal clothes yeah yeah that's what yeah that's what i was going for mm-hmm. i like that aspect of you know i like that differentiation between mizzou and the traditional sec schools there's a few things like that i'm like you know what you can keep that sort of thing. Yeah. We'll keep our Nike pullovers and exactly. jeans and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, what all are we going to talk about this week? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Tournament of Champions, the high school basketball tournament that we went to in Springfield. Uh, there's a little bit of Mizzou recruiting intrigue there. And then we'll talk about this uh, terrible basketball team that we have. And... Uh, catch everybody up on portal and recruiting news for football. And then we wanted to really dig into a football season recap. And partly because this was such a special season, winning 11 games and everything, winning the Cotton Bowl, partly because the basketball team is not very good. We're going to stretch this out over two or three weeks. Just keep enjoying football as long as we possibly can. Exactly. (laughs) Because there's some good memories in here that we'll unearth. And uh, that's going to be fun to relive one of the best Mizzou football seasons in my lifetime, our lifetimes combined. Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah, uh, we've basically lived the same life <laughs> up to this point. I'm you, you're me. Interchangeable for yeah. the most part. Um, so we'll start off here with the, oh, before we do that, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, leave us a review wherever you listen to us, and of course you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod. Tournament of Champions. Um, if you are just listening to this podcast for the Mizzou content, uh, we will have a little bit of recruiting stuff. But uh, this is a high school basketball tournament that happens every year in Springfield that we get to attend as media. So um, we'll keep this relatively quick. Um, I'll give some of my thoughts about the tournament as a whole this year. Um, it was very fun to watch. I thought it was fun to watch Vashon play because they were kind of in the middle between these like powerhouse prep programs and the two local Springfield teams that were not so good. Um, Watching Vashon battle it out with some of these more uh, high-end high school programs was pretty fun. Um, I do think they got a little bit shafted in the seeding because 
I don't know. They had to play probably the second best team in the tournament um, in round one. I don't think Vashon was necessarily seated wrong. I think McEachern, Georgia, was seated incorrectly. They should not have gone up against Paul the Six until the championship game, but they had to play them in the semifinal. Um, just to run you through the rounds real quick, and then if you have any thoughts that jump out to you from each night. Uh, in the first round, um, Edmund North beat Rainier Beach in the opening game 65-45. St. John Bosco beat Central High School in Springfield 68-37. We kind of predicted that. Uh, Paul Six beat Glendale um, 82-21. to Which Paul Six is the number one team in the country. Yes. And McEachern, Georgia beat Vashon 73-62. And I had that backwards. We, we predicted that Central would put up a fight and that Glendale would get absolutely blown out. So we were half right there. Yeah, we were. If we predicted a blowout, we were we were certainly right yeah. uh, about Glendale. They didn't have a, a great showing th- that weekend. I think we specifically said uh, there would be a lot of blocked shots uh, in that game going against Glendale, and I think the very first possession was a Glendale shot Just getting blocked, wadded out out yeah. of bounds. I believe the score was forty-five to three at halftime. Yeah, not a football game. Yeah. So if that like. I do have a couple criticisms of this tournament in particular. It seemed like it was Paul six and then everybody else for the most part. Yeah. Maybe three tiers of teams there. But um, in the first round, I thought Vashon held their own against McEachern, who had the number two player in the country, Ace Bailey. Um, interesting note about him, McEachern, this uh, pretty uh, powerhouse uh, high school basketball program in Georgia, is putting kids in the S- into SEC schools nonstop. And so Ace Bailey could very easily be going to Georgia or Alabama or Auburn like um, Isaac Okoro or uh, Sharif Cooper have in the past. But he's taking his talents to Rutgers. So Mizzou fans, you're not going to have to worry about him in the SEC. Totally random. So that's good. <laughs> uh, second round, Rainier Beach beat Central 59-58. Vashon beat Glendale 73-40. St. John Bosco beat Edmund North 69-61. And Paul Six beat McEachern 48-37. Which was probably like the championship game of the tournament. Yeah. That was in the semifinals. Yeah, which kind of, that's when you kind of know, oh, maybe one of these teams was seated wrong. These two teams should not have been able to meet until the championship. Um, Edmund North, I thought they had kind of an interesting tournament. And uh, Mizzou fans know T.O. Barrett, who is in the upcoming recruiting class for Mizzou. Uh, he went to school at Edmund North before transferring to Link Academy in Branson. And I got to think that if he was on this team as a senior, they could have maybe won one more game and maybe even advanced um, by beating St. John Bosco here. Then in the finals, we had uh, Central beating Glendale 68-46 to make Glendale the winless team in the tournament. Vashon beat Rainier Beach 70-50, to kind of showing, I think, that they were ready to compete with the big boys in this tournament, but kind of had a bad draw. McEachern beat Edmund North 61-59, and then in the championship, Paul VI beat St. John Bosco 71-53. MVP of the tournament was Darren Harris of Paul VI. He's going to Duke. He averaged 17 points per game in the tournament, um, 23 points in the championship, so really good performance from them, but I would say they were not really challenged outside of 
three quarters of the game against McEachern. Uh, but to look at recruiting for Mizzou a little bit more, uh, Mizzou does have three offers out to current Vashon players. And we'll start it off with 6'8 forward Nick Randall. He is a junior. And it was it's fun to see a guy like that who is being recruited to Mizzou play against top five players in the country. And we got to see that in that first-round matchup between him and Ace Bailey for McEachern. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think... Um Randall looked like the most college-ready player that Vashon has, and obviously he still has another year to play after this, so he's got some some room to keep growing and um, keep improving his game. I thought, you know, he I thought McEachern mitigated him a little bit, but um, that's maybe ex- expected. But he played really well um, in the in the, in the next two matchups and looks pretty dominant at times. He's just uh, he's a big guy, um, definitely is the post player for his high school team, and yeah. you know I think that's. That's what he'll have to grapple with when he gets to college. Is you know he's a, he's a big he's a big guy. He's built. Um, he's six eight, but he definitely doesn't have a guard skill set. So mm-hmm. he's going to have to, um, you know, figure out what his role is. Um, maybe probably playing a, an interior role in college, but maybe being a little bit undersized. But he had some moves. He had some good dunks, and um, he's definitely a just a big presence down low. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is uh, it almost feels like at his height, he's going to have to either commit one way or the other he's going to need to maybe bulk up a little bit and be sort of undersized but commit to being rim rim protector finisher or um really work on his three-point shooting and be like a stretch four at the next level i could see it going either way so it'll be interesting to see how he develops um in him going up against ace bailey though it was pretty clear like randall getting the ball in the post, backing a guy down, sometimes getting a spin move for a dunk, something like that. Yeah, Ace Bailey getting the ball in the wing, uh, pulling up, backing his guy down, but then turning it into a fadeaway uh, off of one leg, stuff that it's just it's obvious in this tournament in particular when you see a top five guy in his class, it's like, oh, this is a future professional basketball player yeah. that, that I'm watching. You can tell immediately like yeah. who, the, who the player is. Yeah. Um, other players for Vashon that Mizzou is interested in, uh, 6'1 guard Trey Williams. Uh, he's also a junior. Uh, he had averaged 13 points per game in the tournament, um, 14 points in the fifth place game. And he was one of the better three-point shooters on Vashon. And just a quick release, a little bit undersized at 6'1 for a junior. But um, I don't know. I think... I'm not. I think uh, Mizzou and Ole Miss have offered him out of the SEC. So, who knows if um, he's ready to make that kind of jump? But I thought he played pretty well and was double-digit scorer in two of the three games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thought he was really solid. And then the last guy we'll talk about is uh, guard Jimmy McKinney Jr. He is a freshman. He's listed at six-one, but I thought he played bigger than that. He didn't play a ton being a freshman. Yeah. But he got out there, had a big uh, chase down block shot, and was uh, getting to the rim a couple times. Made made some threes. Again, being a freshman, he wasn't a major contributor for them. But I was impressed with him, and obviously, we'll keep an eye on him the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that a big block he had was a highlight of his tournament for mm-hmm. sure, and looked super athletic and just really long and explosive. But I remember after that play happened, kind of thinking like, "Oh wow, that must have been." 
um, you know, one of their their older guards. And then it was no, it was Jimmy Jimmy McKinney Jr., the, yeah. the freshman. So he did not look like a freshman making that that big block for sure. So he's got some some pretty great athleticism, um, some good bloodlines to uh, to build on there. Yeah, yeah, he already has a uh, Mizzou scholarship offer as a freshman. So. All right, so that was the Tournament of Champions. Um, always fun time. Um, hopefully next year we'll maybe get to see, well, I- I'm thinking I want to see uh, Aaron Rowe and Tolton Catholic come down to Springfield and play. Yeah. I'd love to see uh, you know, the next crop of five-star players that Link Academy has. Yeah, I'd love to see them get Link back. I, it should be a staple, honestly. They're almost, you could really almost say they're a local team at this point. <laughs> Uh, maybe get an Oak Hill in there, have two powerhouse programs that meet in the finals would be awesome. But yeah, I'd love to see Aaron Rowe for, for Tolton and um, maybe some other regional players that, that are, it's on Mizzou's ra- radar for sure. Yeah, it's not always the case that we get a Mizzou commit in this tournament, so that would be nice. All right, so sticking with basketball, we will move on to this Mizzou Tiger basketball team who is now 0-4 in conference play after losing to South Carolina and Alabama. Starting with the South Carolina game, um, they South Carolina jumped out to a 7-0 lead. Missouri battled back, went on top, and then kind of had this like two to six-point lead most of the game until right at the end, uh, South Carolina guard Taylon Cooper hit a game-tying three to send it to overtime. And... There was a stretch here that I kept track of from the five-minute mark, five minutes remaining in the second half, to the first overtime basket that Missouri made. They had nine possessions, only scored on two of them. And this is becoming a theme of uh, a winnable game, and all you have to do is hold on. And there'll be sometimes... I think we've seen it twice now against Georgia and now against South Carolina where like three possessions in a row in the last five minutes of a game, you come out completely empty and just give the other team an opportunity to win it right there. Yeah, that's absolutely what I was going to say was this has become a recurring recurring theme where it's close at the end, just not getting high quality possessions and just forcing things and not playing good defense down the stretch, which is pretty much what's happening most of the game anyway. But yeah, man, just really struggling to to put games away and um, just don't really have that go-to guy. And Sean, Sean East has been that for a lot of the time, but um, just not really finding the consistent uh, like scorer who can help kind of ice the game. Yeah, Missouri started the overtime period 0 for 5. Ended up just losing by 2, but... Uh... Yeah, the late game execution just hasn't been there and uh, starting out slow in overtime. Maybe a little bit. It seemed like the, these last two games in particular, um, you know, Sean East maybe took a little bit more of a backseat scoring-wise. Noah Carter had some, had some good minutes and um, Tamar Bates had a good game against Alabama. So mm-hmm. um, I guess it's good to see that the the scoring is being distrib- distributed a little bit more. A little bit more balance would be nice. Yeah, but, but. still just not uh, one consistent guy that you can count on. In the end of that, I'm t- am I thinking of the right moment? The uh, end of regulation was that when uh, Sean East just kind of almost lost the ball, had to kind of do his own thing and threw think, it up. I think was so. that the end of overtime? I can't remember. But uh, 
It was kind of a messy play. I think it was end of overtime, actually. Probably should have kicked it out to Noah Carter, but yeah. it was too late. Yeah, Noah Carter scored the bucket to tie it in overtime, and then South Carolina scored again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, one that was winnable, that they let slip away, and then they, again, fought hard against Alabama. Um Alabama, a more talented team. Missouri hung with them for, you know, three quarters of the game. And then things just kind of unraveled at the end. Missouri lost 93 to 75. But uh, the the stories out of this Alabama game was the coaches for two very different reasons. Um, Nate Oates pushed Aaron, Aiden Shaw, just pushed him in the chest. There's a little bit of a, a scuffle. Um, Jump ball, jump Over ball by situation. Alabama's bench. Yes, right in front of Alabama's bench, and Aiden Shaw, I don't think was even involved in the play. And then, but he's just like kind of standing there, not, looking. Yeah, not doing anything aggressive at all. No. Just literally standing there. Yeah, and too close for comfort, according to uh, Coach Oates, because he just pushes him away pretty yeah. aggressively with and, that little follow through. He had like yes. a little follow through and a little, yeah. little wrist flip. Yeah. Honestly, Flick. honestly, perfect technique by him, yeah. but you can't be pushing the other team's players. You can't do that. It's such a bad look, but... Are you surprised, Cameron? I'm not surprised. It's just so strange to see. Yeah. And uh, it's so strange, actually. Noah Carter thought it was strange as well. If you go back and look, his face, when he like sees Nate Oates' arm yeah. outstretched, he's just like, what Doesn't even you? believe his own eyes. Yeah, he's like, what are you doing? Um, but I'll have you know... The SEC got it taken care of. Oh, yeah. They really... They issued an official reprimand. They really put the hammer down. They said, this, Nate Oates, we're reprimanding you. That's it. Nate Oates, don't do that again. Yeah. I know it, you, you'll want to, but try not to push the players of the opposing team. They said, that's unacceptable, and we're going to let you know. We're going to make it public that we're unhappy. Yes. That's it. So hopefully he learned his lesson there. It's a pretty harsh punishment. Honestly, though, when it happened, I thought for sure he'd be suspended a game, one to three games is what I had in my head. I really thought he would be suspended as well. Yeah. yeah. Pretty bizarre. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, I guess so. Right, Cameron? <laughs> yep, that is true. Um, yeah, I can't blame him, I guess. Um, and then also everybody's talking about Coach Gates because Missouri's 0-4. And... I thought you were going to say because he had a very uh, yeah. unique message, very special message for Tamar Bates yes, during yes. that game that was caught that, on, on camera. That was an interesting moment. Uh, Tamar Bates had a, a couple of nice plays at the end of the first half, and Missouri trying to mount a little bit of a comeback there. And they they did okay. Mark Sears um, twisted his ankle or something, had to come out of the game for a little while. Missouri mounted a little bit of a comeback at that point. Anyway... Tamar Bates makes a couple good plays and is like chatting with the uh, talking trash to the Alabama bench as the halftime buzzer goes off and Dennis Gates met him at half court explaining to him that he needed to stop talking. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's probably right to do that. I don't know. You got any, you got a take there? Yeah. I mean, he see, that's the most angry I've ever seen him in my life, I think. Yeah. The most direct. Um, it's uh, desperate times, I suppose. Yeah. So the vibe I'm getting from Twitter and, you know, reading some articles online and stuff like that is people want answers for 
why this basketball team is not performing and, um, you know, not able to win games. And I don't know. I think, I think it's just, uh, there's a, there's a little bit of a lack of talent. I mean, and you've got, they announced that during this game, John Tanjay is, is, uh, taking a medical red shirt for his foot issue. Apparently he hasn't been able to get over that. And he, specifically could not he needed to have played less than 30 percent of missouri's minutes or something like that up to this point to be eligible for that medical red red shirt so you're without tanjay you've been without caleb grill for a little bit i feel like that's that is about the best case scenario for tanjay though because he has barely played all season long and we've just been left to wonder what's going on is he in the doghouse is he just terrible yeah you know what's going on and so to, to find out that he's been injured and they're kind of trying to save him for the medical red shirt i think that's about best case scenario and it explains a lot yeah uh my only fear is that it's uh it just reminds me of isaiah mosley last year obviously different situations it wasn't medical whatever but i don't know to just have this guy this highly touted transfer come in and barely play and then just not play just interesting. I just wonder, you know, there's obviously there's there's more to the story maybe, but it I just wonder why that was not communicated earlier. Yeah. Um because Dennis Gates has been asked, yeah, why is John Tanjay not playing? And I don't think he ever said he's injured. Well, yeah, there was talk about him having a foot injury like at the very beginning of the season. Okay. And that was something he had been dealing with leading up to the start of the season. Did they then, just not want it to be publicly known that they were maybe kind of saving him for the red shirt? Was there, is there a certain point that you can apply for it? I don't know. Maybe some kind of like uh, game planning. Just trying not to draw thing. attention to that. I don't know. There was definitely one point where in a post-game press conference, Coach Gates said he was asked about Tanja's availability. Yeah. The media member was kind of being like, hey, so is he hurt or what's his availability? Yeah. And Coach Gates said his availability is the same as it's always been. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, like super vague. Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but I just see, I'm seeing, maybe rightfully so, we'll tease it out a little bit. People are questioning Coach Gates. They're questioning his, uh, you know, he put together this roster yeah. that is floundering at this point and um, questioning rotations. Should we be playing younger guys more? Um, what's the deal? I think people are losing faith a little bit. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts there? At this point, like, yeah, I, I probably would like to see the young guys just kind of take over the team a little bit. We're playing, you know, Nick Honor, who's almost 30 years old, it seems like at this point. And, you know, it's just it's just probably not going to work. You know, yeah. Nick Honor's played, he's, he's had a good career. He was part a part of, uh, an integral part of a very good team last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good player, but, you know, it's, it's probably time for, you know, Anthony Robinson or, you know, some of these young guys, Trent Pierce, to start seeing more minutes. And, yeah, um... I mean, I I actually thought coming into Dennis Gates' first season, I thought the cupboard might be a little bit bare yeah. talent-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew who some of these transfers were, but there was, you know, a lot of like mid-major level players that were going to have to carry the team. But, you know, what we didn't know was how much Kobe had developed his game. We didn't know how good Demoy Hodge truly was. Um, so we, we saw some great plays from a lot of different players last year, a lot of experienced players. And so they ended up obviously being better than any of us really thought. And but then, you know, turn the calendar. We're going into this season. I'm thinking the same exact thing. Yeah, I'm thinking that the cupboard looks pretty bare, but we have less experience, less talent than even last year. And yeah. so, I'm not 
super surprised, I guess, to see it go this way. Um, you know, I think that I hoped that we would see, you know, Noah Carter take that extra step or some of those other players, some of the older, more experienced guys take the next step like we saw um, last year, and it just hasn't really happened. So, um, yeah, it's weird because then you're thinking about two years ago, that last Conzo team was this mismatch or, you know, this, uh, I don't know, he cobbled together a squad of mid-major transfers that year as well Mm -hmm. i mean guys you will never remember as long as you live yeah uh so (laughs) then to see coach gates come in and do the same thing right to some extent it was like okay we're we're doing this again so yeah that's where some of that was coming from it was like we just saw what happens when you put together a team of mid-major mid-major transfers it did not work well but uh yeah, I don't know. It's just it's uh it's going to be a long season, I'm afraid. Yeah, um, yeah. If it, we kind of have already like had this discussion like probably two or three weeks in a row now, mm-hmm. where it's like the talent's not there. I hope that they can continue to be competitive, which they have. They have been competitive in a lot of these games that they've lost, but obviously that doesn't really do anything for anybody. Um, they're just. I think it's going to be a fun off season. I think most rational fans have not l- totally lost faith in Dennis Gates. You know, I think they can see where this is going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's probably a, a bit of a transition year, a bit of a lost year even maybe. Um, but hopefully we can hang on to some of the young talent we have, turn over all of the older guys, and um, we're going to be getting in four or five talented freshmen and hopefully fill some holes in the in the transfer portal. Yeah, it is. I feel like it is a... Uh, you have to strike the right balance though when you're kind of turning to the younger players because you're going to be recruiting some transfers in this offseason that want to know you're going to stick with the veterans and you know yeah let them right the ship to some extent and um but also we've got recruiting classes coming in that are going to be looking for playing time and they kind of want to see young guys get some action so yeah it's just like uh when you're not winning games all these questions you know bubble up to the surface but um i mean coach gates in year one did something that the last the three coaches before him couldn't do win a NCAA tournament game. Right. And looking back on that season last year and the squad this year, it's like I can see Dennis Gates as a coach relates to these players in a way that creates a really strong bond. And when you have a bond like that with a team where the coaches and players can all perform you know, without their ego and you get the right talent in there, that's when you can have special seasons. And I think we saw a glimpse of that last year. And I think we saw this style of coaching with Conzo to some extent. I think he was forming some of those bonds, but then wasn't bringing in the talent. So we've got recruiting cycles coming up where Coach Gates can form that family bond with some players that are uh, the type of talent that can take you in, on a March run. Yeah, and I would certainly expect that playing time will be available for yeah. any of those freshmen coming in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, looking ahead, though, next up, Missouri is home against Florida. Florida's 11-6 and six on the season, 1-3 and three in conference play. They lost to Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, but beat Arkansas. Um, and Florida and then the next opponent, A&M, very similar teams. Florida eleven and six, A and M ten and seven. Both teams one and three in conference play. 
So I feel like both of these teams are looking at Missouri. It's like, I feel like one of these teams is going to be down in the bottom five of the conference with Missouri this season. One of these teams has an opportunity to, you know, move to the middle of the pack in hopes of being one of the top teams in the conference. Um, Florida's 45th on Kim Palm, 25th on offense, 86th on defense. Bad thing about both of these teams is their offensive rebounding. Florida's fourth in the nation in offensive rebounding percentage. Texas A&M is first. Nice. Yeah. Um, It's... It feels like we don't match up well with a lot of SEC teams. It's that size. Yeah. It's a a lot of SEC teams play with that kind of the big, big interior size, kind of good rebounding, good defense, just kind of grinded out type teams. And that's, I mean, no offense, but Missouri's playing kind of soft this year. Yeah. Definitely more of a finesse team. Yeah. That's part of the plan. That's part of the strategy. Yeah. And they don't have the personnel to do anything else. Exactly. So. Um, but Florida's best player uh, or best scorer is Iona transfer Walter Clayton Jr. Uh, guard averaging 16 points per game. They also have Seton Hall transfer Tyrese Samuel, who's one of the best rebounders in the SEC, uh, as well as freshman Alex Condon. Those two guys, one six ten, one six eleven, just rebound everything in sight. And with both of these matchups, if it was defensive rebounding. That's the stat where I think this Mizzou staff is like, we don't care. You know, or, or sorry, if it was Missouri's own offensive rebounding, we don't care. We're going to make up for that with steals, turnovers, live ball turnovers that lead to easy baskets. But it's Missouri's defensive rebounding that you, you if you give up on that, you're giving teams multiple chances at the same possession. I think it's so brutally like frustrating to watch too because they're not getting that many stops as it is. And so yeah. when the other team finally misses a shot and then they don't get the rebound and just start the possession over, it just it makes you want to pull your hair out. Yeah. Um. So Florida, that's a home game. Texas A&M is on the road. Um, they're led by junior guard Wade Taylor. He's averaging 19 and a half points per game. Senior forward Henry Coleman, he was out against Arkansas. They play LSU before Mizzou, so we'll see if he plays in that game. But uh, he is the if you like the definition of what you're talking about, like the SEC big who rebounds and uh, is a a presence down low. That is Henry Coleman. I'm already scared to play Mississippi State <laughs> and Tolu Smith. Yeah, yeah, he he. Yeah. He might have a day against Missouri. 30 and 20. I think Missouri splits. I think Missouri's going to get one of these. You've said that <laughs> a few times. If I keep predicting a split on the week, it's going to happen one of these times. I don't know that it will. <laughs> give me uh, give me a home win against Florida. Okay. It's going to happen. We're I not, hope so. We're not going to worry about rebounding. We're going to get out and run, turn them over. Go go play the young guys and get a win. That'll get that'll get the fan base excited. Yeah. Yes, I agree. If that's possible. No, we'll get excited. No, well, I meant like play the young guys and get a win. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's probably enough basketball for today. Um, we have a few little news items from the portal slash recruiting. Um, 
we talked about last week. Uh, I forget where he transferred from. Isaiah Hastings. Alabama. Transferred from Alabama, committed to Mizzou, now has decommitted from Mizzou. Has he gone anywhere else yet? Syracuse. Syracuse. Okay. So. The prime destination for all transfers. He's on his way out, but Mizzou picks up a commitment from Michigan State defensive line transfer, Zion Young. 6'6", 265, two seasons of eligibility. 6'6", 265, Interior defensive line, edge rusher. What are we looking at? Probably outside. Yeah, probably um, edge rusher. Um, so yeah, Hastings decommits, mm-hmm. and then almost—I mean, it was like twenty or thirty minutes later—Zion uh, Young commits. And we don't want like, both of these guys. And then also maybe like the same day, Hastings was like going to Syracuse, like announced he's going there. So I don't know if those—I don't know if those events are related at all. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. No. Um, you know, Hastings was seemingly uh kind of a high ceiling guy but had not really registered a single stat in college so but he was playing at alabama Mm -hmm. zion young much more productive career up to this point at michigan state Um, we talked about him a little bit last week but uh he had visited missouri when high school gotten down to michigan state in missouri as his final two as a senior in high school and then obviously uh picks missouri the second time around but he had 26 tackles uh, four and a half tackles for loss and 1.5 sacks just last year. So a uh, pretty productive year for an outside uh, defensive end. Um, shoot. Now now that I think about it, there, w- there was a uh, – you maybe have this for me. There was a high school commit as well. Was Am I thinking of that right? Um, we talked about Trajan Jekko, or Greco already. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But that was like a couple weeks ago. That's probably who I was thinking of. I definitely could have missed somebody. Um, doesn't matter. Um, we'll talk about it next week if we did. Now, my question to you, Kyle, is uh, Zion Young joining the Mizzou defense. Who's going to coach him? I have no idea. Because it seems like we're on the path to literally every single defensive coach from last year's staff leaving. Because uh, Kevin Pupils now is off to LSU with, what's his name again? Blake Baker. Mr. Blue Blood. Blake Baker. That's quite an alliteration. Wow, that's a lot of bees. Uh yeah. So Kevin Peoples. Kevin Peoples, uh, you know, not cut out for the wilderness, apparently, as well. <laughs> yeah. He's off to LSU. And we still don't have a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Uh you know, how how do you think Coach Drinkwitz is feeling? He was being he was taking it really well, taking everything in stride. Um I hope that whatever he found this season to give him peace of mind through the trials and tribulations. I hope he's holding Just loving on to that. his players, yep. loving people. I hope he has found that uh, Zen place where he can just empty his mind. And yeah, I mean Blake Baker. Even you might have just said this. Uh, Blake Baker even stole some random defensive like analyst or something who I'd never even heard of. He's he's even taken the guys that I've never even heard of with with him to LSU. That's not fair. Uh, and like LSU is not the only one doing this kind of thing. Um, Alabama hired Washington head coach to be their new head coach. And now he's just going and adding other FBS head coaches as assistants. Yeah. Uh, well, go ahead. You can say who they are. Um, yeah. South Alabama head coach Kane Womack and Buffalo head coach Maurice Linguist, both head coaches, Yeah, are going to be position coaches on, or I think... Uh, coordinators. I think Womack might be defensive coordinator. One of them is yeah. going to be defensive coordinator. Um, I think the Buffalo guy. Yeah. So they're just loading up on guys that i don't even necessarily know if missouri's interested in either one of these guys as defensive coordinator but 
Yeah, I mean, you what gotta, are you supposed to do when Alabama's out here hiring multiple head coaches to be assistants? Yeah. Uh, well, f- yeah. First of all, it is unique because it feels like it goes in the other way, where it's like, you know, uh, a successful coordinator at a SEC school will then go kind of cut his teeth at some you know head coaching job at a low mm-hmm. school or something, a smaller school. Uh, but these guys are doing the opposite to right. be a part of Alabama. And I think it was maybe last week before, I don't even know when the Nick Saban retirement thing happened in mm-hmm. relation to when we recorded, but you know, we were talking about Missouri probably being the biggest player on the market for a defensive coordinator. And then Alabama was available. And so it just all of a sudden, and I think you, your response to me was saying, we don't know yet, like because yeah. the, the carousel is not even close to being over, which yeah. of course ended up... Uh, kind of being what happened there but yeah you know we just haven't heard a lot coming out of missouri's search for a defensive coordinator it does make me wonder if um they are competing with some of these guys that have gone other places so um surely this will be wrapped up in the next few days i would i would assume and uh, i'm still harping on this but lsu i'm just stuck on the rich getting richer lsu brings in kevin peoples and they're retaining their previous defensive line coach and I'm pretty sure both of them have defensive coordinator experience. So they have like two former defensive coordinators splitting the defensive line coaching duties. Sometimes it's I just, just think those like career position coaches like Kevin Peoples, like they just like to move. They just yeah. like to go somewhere new every single year because they just about do. Yeah. And yeah, you just you just wonder sometimes. Oh, they, just, they just like moving all their stuff everywhere. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Have I'm, you seen the uh, the rumors about um, J- Jim Harbaugh is like Michigan's head coach? I saw something. He's interviewed with like three different NFL teams. Okay. And so, I mean, it seems like at this point, like he's interested in an NFL yeah. job. He's looking for uh, looking to maybe escape some penalties in college sure. football or just look for something new or both. But that means Michigan's going to have to hire a new head coach. Well, I saw something. And I mean, this may have just been clickbait, but I saw a headline that said, uh, Harbaugh, if he were to come back to Michigan, wants guarantees that he would not be punished for any kind of oh really violations. Oh wow, that he would not be held accountable by the school for anything that might come up come about. It's a real power move. Yeah, yeah. Who is he? He's talking to Michigan, or yeah. he's talking to the NCAA. Talking to Michigan, he wants it in his Michigan contract oh my that gosh. they won't punish him if anything comes down the line. Wow, just go somewhere else. That may, I don't know. That's just like a random headline I saw, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Missouri needs to hang on and try. I mean, to, that's, try to get the Michigan defensive that coordinator. Literally, could be part of why things have seemingly stalled uh, is that they're waiting for you know some other dominoes to fall. But um, I you know I do wonder if. Uh, Brian Kelly might be interested in that Michigan job. We talked about that last Oof, week. That would that would be the funniest thing that could ever happen. Yes, yes, want that to happen. Uh, usually, how these things go is we record um, now, you know, not knowing anything, and then as soon as we hit publish, and yeah, it's like episode I did, goes I live. Probably check Twitter or something. <laughs> right now. As soon as the episode goes live, that's when Missouri will hire a defensive coordinator. <laughs> but we're still in the dark as of now, and the rumors even have died down. Like there's just not a lot of chatter, as far as I've seen. But let us, unless you've, unless you got a name nothing, of a new defensive coordinator, nothing at all. Let's take a trip down memory lane and go all the way back to week one. Maybe we'll even go back to the preseason, wherever your mind takes you. 
as you travel back to the beginning of this Mizzou football season, we all know how it ended in the Cotton Bowl victory, 11, 11th victory of the year over Ohio State. But going back to week one against South Dakota, I'm trying to put, our, put myself back in the mindset of the Missouri Sports Podcast. This is a, we're, we're predicting potentially a special year. We're thinking eight wins, nine wins. That'd be really solid. A lot of it was kind of going to hinge on Brady Cook's development. Yep. And how the defense was going to, you know, the defense had a great season two seasons ago. Yep. We were wondering if they could keep that going. So week one against South Dakota, we're hosting an FCS opponent. Missouri gets the win 35-10. to 10. I want to mention, I'm going to, let you know how each of these opponents finished their season. So South Dakota, obviously FCS opponent, they did finish with a final record of 10 and three. And I think we're the three seed in the FCS playoff. So they had a good season for their uh, standards for sure. Um, this week one and two known as playing chess. Yeah. That's when we found out coach drink and coach Moore were playing chess. Apparently, apparently not That's- checkers. That's a, at least a good way to explain away two underwhelming games. Yes. So uh, against South Dakota, Cook, uh, you know, fairly pedestrian but efficient. 17 of 21, 172 yards and a touchdown. Cody Schrader gets going, 138 yards. Luther Burden gets going, seven catches for 96 yards. Offense scores 35 points. Defense holds them to 10. Kind of just get in there, get the win, move yeah. on. Go one and zero on the week. Yeah, it did feel like you know they got up early and then just kind of closed the game out. Yeah. And uh, you know that's what Drinkwitz talked about really. And and both of those those both of these first two games, that's kind of the formula was get up early, get the, get get your stats, get on the board, and then just run the ball out. And uh, yeah, again, pretty pretty underwhelming win, but we'll just uh, whatever. We'll just take it against an FCS team. And I feel like in these first two games, it is kind of a blueprint for how he would handle some of the later games in the stretch run of the sec season so we'll get to that we're just going to go through week six this week and then we'll pick up where we left off next week um so remember that for next week but then going into week two hosting middle tennessee and uh, a final score of 23 to 19 on a middle tennessee team that ended up with a final record of four and eight that still kind of jumps out to you as a game that was not very pretty yeah Way too close, even if you're playing chess. Exactly. Yeah. You'd think, yes, at some point there, uh, you need the offense to separate. I don't know. Even just, just running the clock out, you should be just yeah. running it down their throats like yeah. easily. Agree. So after week two, the Mizzou football fan base was... Including us. Yeah. It was a little bit, um, I don't know, like trying to put myself back into that space, you're 2-0, and oh, but me very worried yeah well about I mean, the offense yeah exactly think about where the offense was two seasons ago yeah we never got things going brady cook was really never all that great at any point yeah uh it didn't look like he had taken a step at all the defense still looked pretty solid mm-hmm. we knew we were probably going to have that but you know at some point these are human beings we're talking about if if the offense never gets going the defense is probably just gonna fold as well right but um yeah so it kind of just looked like another season of pretty mediocre Brady Cook and kind of the same old offense. And uh, one of the major storylines of the first two weeks was, of course, Sam Horn. And 
because it had been such a thing in the off season, the quarterback con- competition that was going to last into the season, uh, week one, he gets most of the second half, I think. Yeah. But um, and they just run the ball the whole time. He did have an interception. That's true. And that was a tipped ball. Yes, and that little uh, like horizontal pass to Luther Burden that he took in for the score. Yeah. So he did get a touchdown on the year, but uh, yeah, that was part of the frustration in the South Dakota game was like, okay, you're putting, you're putting your backup quarterback in when there's supposed to be a quarterback competition on and don't let him do anything. Right. When there really never was a competition to begin with is what it sounded like later on. We kind of find out like there was never a competition here. You idiots. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was, I was frustrated after two weeks that it didn't seem like we were getting the right answers on offense. Yeah. Uh, But then it's Super Bowl time. <laughs> Super Bowl of the first of many. Yes. The first of many Super Bowls on the season. Kansas State coming to town after destroying Mizzou last year or the, the, year, the year before. Redemption for one of the worst football games I've ever watched. And Kansas State uh, ended up this past season going 9-4 and four with a bowl win. So uh, Missouri's 30-27 to 27 win over Kansas State looks good looks just as good now as it did when it happened yeah and that was such a fun game to watch truly like was a obviously a season changing win um but maybe even like program trajectory season like program trajectory changing win uh, obviously you know mevis puts it away on the like longest field goal in sec history and just and like i said redemption for probably a game that missouri guys had uh scheduled or had circled on the schedule for a really long time and um yeah, that that felt really, really good. It felt like a, a signature win that we had been searching for for a few seasons. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's a game where the offense comes alive, and it happened early. Um, Brady Cook taking deep shots, being accurate. We're trying new things. There was a fourth down play at the goal line where they break out that fake to Luther Burden. Brady Cook keep it yeah. for the first time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Brady Cook goes off 23 of 35 passing 356 yards two touchdowns luther burden goes for over 100 yards um it, but even the beginning of that game was scary because there was that tipped ball for a touchdown for kansas state yep i was and just about to bring that up they had ben i am the senate just doing whatever he wanted scoring touchdowns oh gosh the fullback yeah the, yeah we were getting we were getting killed by a fullback there for a while but it, it felt like, you know, I am the Senate. <laughs> it, the, the Senate is scoring touchdowns, tipped ball for a touchdown. Um, this has got a, this can't last forever. It yeah. was like in the moment, I'm like, come on. Yeah, it was like, are we really going to start this game off like with this tipped ball and everything? Like, of course. And uh, I was listening back to our season preview and we talked a lot about the Kansas State game in our season preview. And I said, um, this feels like the type of game because we, we talked about, you know, we, we gave, uh, Kansas State a lot of props for how well they're coached and how they don't beat themselves. Yeah, and I said this feels like a game where it's going to be super close, and Missouri's going to make the mistake at the yeah. end of the game to lose it for sure. And because that's what they have done in yeah. these kind of games, and it almost happened. They tried so hard with that delay of game to back the kick up five yards. They just had to get the they just had to get the record. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, think how that was so frustrating in the yeah. moment and. Obviously, I mean, I almost forgot that happened until you just brought that up because it was immediately erased by yeah. the win. But I mean, they were out there like taking practice kicks and they were like huddled up on the sideline, like when the delay of game happened. I mean, they were just 
not even close to knowing like what was going on and just totally out uh, out of it yeah now if he misses you go to overtime but uh yeah i don't i'm glad we didn't have to deal with that that's true so missouri wins the super bowl in week three three and oh get revenge over kansas state the offense is cooking it's like okay this maybe is the team that we were hoping yeah, for preseason. We, we changed our tunes after that game, for sure. Week four is the Memphis game in St. Louis. Uh, Memphis ended the season 10-3 and three with a bowl win over Iowa State. So they were solid, and uh, Missouri got this win 34-27. to 27. One that maybe was a little bit closer than we would have liked, but again, the offense comes out. Brady Cook's making throws. Yeah. The wide receivers are involved. It feels good, at least. Yeah. A little closer than we like, but it felt good. Mm-hmm. And Had um, some injury scares on the turf. That's true, yeah. Um, and I, was this the game that Cook got hit pretty hard? I can't remember. Oh, no, Kansas State game is where he actually left the game for a snap. Yeah. And then... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember you saying something like this, because Sam Horn comes in yeah. in the Kansas State game. I remember you saying, like, this is either going to be amazing or terrible. Yeah. But Brady Cook came in, like, back in almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually one of the first times I remember, well, not that I, like, would want ill will for Brady Cook, but I remember thinking like, when he got hurt in the Kansas State game, I was like, no, 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 not, yeah. not now, not yeah. now. Because like we were actually like yes. in this game, and the offense showed like you know we actually do have some new wrinkles. We we yeah. have maybe taken a next step, and then he gets hurt. <laughs> like can this continue with Sam Horn? But we didn't have to find out. Yeah, Memphis game, Luther Burden, huge game, ten catches for one hundred seventy-seven yards, and uh, it was just yeah all the St. Louis kids doing their thing. Um, yeah. It just uh, just yeah. perfect. We Memphis need to be... ended up being a really solid team. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that meant four and zero. Missouri Tigers are four and zero going into SEC play. A road matchup with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt ended this ended the season two and ten, winless in SEC play. And I think it just uh, we were joking in the preview about how uh, Vanderbilt the year before won two SEC games after going two years in a row without winning one. And they're back on that not winning SEC games. <laughs> they're thing. back. Yeah. There's the Vandy we know and love. Um, and Brady Cook uh, continues uh, to pour it on. Um, 33 of 41 passing, 395 yards and four touchdowns against Vanderbilt. And this one sticks out in my mind because he was throwing, you know, fade patterns to Luther Burden and it just... He looked so perfect, just making every throw right into their hands as they're just sprinting away from him to the corner of the end zone. The passing game, this I think probably against Vanderbilt is the best the offense looked all year. I mean, the running game, Schrader did some special things later on, but maybe the passing game with Brady Cook, this is the best they looked, which that's exactly what you need and expect to happen when you're playing Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, we went we went into the LSU game pretty confident after that win. We talked about the LSU game in the preseason, thinking like, oh, it get past Kansas State, yeah. that sets up a huge game at home against LSU. And that stuff never happens, by the way. We do that almost every year. Like yeah. oh, we could be seven and oh going into the Georgia game or whatever. Yeah. We we've we've been doing that stuff and it doesn't ever happen. Right. But it actually did this it, year. It happened. Um, obviously LSU had a really good season, 10 wins, 10 and three with a bowl win over Wisconsin. 
And of course, Jaden Daniels was your Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, they were what a three or four loss team with a Heisman winner. Yeah. That tells you how how incredible he truly was. Yeah. Um, Brady Cook threw the ball forty seven times in this game, four hundred and eleven yards, two touchdowns, and this was when he had that huge that uh, conference record streak of pass attempts without an interception. Yep. Oh, and maybe completions without an interception. Was it in the Vandy game? Was that when the announcer was like? really aware of the of the record and stuff yeah because i think he broke the record in the vandy game and then it got like called back or something like yeah, that he had to do it, he twice. Did it again yeah <laughs> so he had that record going into lsu and then uh through two interceptions in that game um the one obviously that everybody everybody remembers is the pick six at the end of the game to make it a 10 point loss instead of three we were at that game, and it's the only game we went to in person this season. It was really a fantastic experience. Yeah, until it was a great day. The last five minutes of that game, yeah, maybe even less than that. Yeah, because they were in it all the way to the end. Yeah, and making big plays, the defense making big plays. Obviously, we're watching Jaden Daniels, and can't help but be impressed, but so frustrated. Yeah, just when he over and over again scrambling for first downs like third and longs and just com- converting them on his with the legs um yeah both teams just landing haymaker after haymaker basically just back and forth the whole game and uh there was really just a, there was a few missed opportunities and in a game like that you kind of just almost have to score mm-hmm. every single one of your possessions mm-hmm. to to hang tight and there was just a couple of missed opportunities Missouri literally they almost had the ball in field goal range to tie it for overtime. Like as you know, the fourth quarter was expiring, and uh, Brady Cook fumbled it away. Mm. Yep. And what was it? It was the second and one, or something like. Uh, uh, th- that, that was a different second time. and one. They like threw the ball. I think. Yeah. Through incomplete pass. Then third and one. That might have been later. He drops back, gets sacked, loses the ball, goes back ten yards. Yeah, they had a plus. fourth and thirty-two. Jeez. Yeah, Theo Weiss had that like kind of screenplay that probably went for thirty yards that got him all the way almost yeah. up to field goal range with like yeah two minutes left in the game. Yeah, mm, so close. And uh, yeah, that's like that's the type of game. That looking back, it's like well, yeah, Missouri hadn't been here yet. Yeah, they had just for the first time. Some of these players were nationally ranked and. Uh, Facing a, a, a premier opponent, playing in front of a maxed out throw, yes. throw field. Yes, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, looking back, I don't know that that losing that game changes too much. Um, you know, I don't think Missouri makes the fourteen playoff, even if they win this game, assuming they still lose to Georgia. So you know, it was really heartbreaking in the moment, um, but kind of like that South Carolina game back in 2013 brutal in the moment when we got to the end of the season didn't really make a huge difference probably yeah. be interesting to see what that maybe does to the bowl game selection and yeah. like final yeah we, we might have been fifth or sixth yeah um look on the outside looking in still though yeah it would have been it would have been a little bit fun would have to, been fun to find out yeah, yeah and have that little you know college football playoff bubble experience yeah Absolutely. Because that obviously didn't exist. Now, if they uh, lose to LSU but still beat Georgia, things might be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, next time. Um, So that's the first half of the regular season. 
after six weeks, Missouri was five and one, played a great game against LSU, but came up just short. And I have a few, a couple stats here that I think are just just kind of put the season in perspective. Uh, one of those is with Missouri's rushing attack. Obviously, we'll remember this season as the year that Cody Schrader went crazy and they sort of rode him into the ground some games and you, the stories about him, you know, having blood removed from his thigh because of it was bruising so much and uh, him just basically living in the training facility in between games. Uh, we'll remember Cody Schrader breaking the single season rushing record, but it's interesting to note early in the season, Nate Pete was still getting quite a few carries. And through six games, Cody Schrader had 94 carries to Pete's 58. Now, I think the change really happened after the Vanderbilt game because Pete only had two carries in the LSU game. But from that point on, Schrader had 182 carries the rest of the season to Pete's 18. So after five games, they really figured out Cody Schrader is making things happen behind this offensive line. Yeah. And that Nate Pete is not. That is uh, bell cow usage right there, I would yes. say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's how I remember all of last season, really, is that it was um, maybe not a perfect 50-50 split, but those guys were, were splitting carries evenly for the most part. Um, but I don't remember that really happening at the beginning of the season. I kind of just feel like even you know, we're, what, a month removed from the season? Um I still just kind of retrospectively feel like Schrader was the guy all year long. Right. Yeah. It surprised me when I went back and looked. Uh, Pete had double-digit carries in three of these first, three of the first five games and had 15 carries to Schrader's 14 against Memphis. Schrader, though, turned his 14 carries into 123 yards. So, yeah, you could kind of see that coming a little bit. The other thing that I thought was interesting is this run of games for Brady Cook. Uh, he goes for 356, 341, 395, and then 411 passing between Kansas State and the LSU game. So in those four games, that's 1,500 yards. That's 45% of his season passing yards uh, happened in that four-game stretch where he was averaging 375 yards per game. Yeah, he was he was on fire, and it does feel like probably – a little bit before Luther Burden, like Luther Burden kind of slowed down a little bit too. And so I feel like Missouri played better defenses in the second half of the season, but also just like scouting report wise, like eventually like defenses are going to key in on, on what you do well and try to mitigate it. And yep. that felt like that happened a little bit on the back half of the season. And I think it's worth noting that we talked about the first six weeks of the season, didn't talk about the defense a ton. And I think some of that is giving up 27 points to Kansas State, 27 to Memphis, 21 to Vanderbilt, 49 to LSU. The defense had not quite figured everything out yet. And with the preseason storyline being so much about the offense and the playmakers and what Brady Cook could do, the defense kind of took a back seat the first half of the season. And it's crazy to see, we'll get to this next week, but just a little tease for next week the defense and Cody Schrader become the story of the second half of the season and it feels like maybe um, a little bit more of what we'll remember when we look back three or four years from now. Yeah, I think you're right. So is that it, we think? We talked about that football season. 
11 wins is a special thing. So we're, we're going to drag it out as long as, uh, as long as it makes sense to. And, um, next week we'll do the second half of the season. Hopefully we've got a defensive coordinator by then that we can talk about. Surely. Yeah, it has to happen. (laughs) Um, but if you think, if you think you're going to get the Michigan guy, take as long as you want. That's right. Take your time. Um, what do I do here? Special thank you. Yeah. Uh, just a sec. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $10 level and above. Britt Treese, Brian Smith, Ryan D. Moore, Tristan, Ben Smith, Parker, Daddy JD, Tim Keens, Tyler Harsel, Brandon Garofalo, Brandon Hanks, Matthew Tilly, Luis Hernandez, Joshua Jacobson. Thank you. Boys, thank you. Special thank you. You can find this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. You can find our t-shirts and stickers on our online shop, MissouriSportsPod.BigCartel.com. Special thank you to, to producer Cameron. And special thank you to Kyle. Hey, thanks. And special thank you to everyone for listening. We will see you next week.